stay tuned to Vinyl Community Podcasts. All right, buddies. Back in the building, back on the street corner of the Vinyl Community. This is Concert Buddy with Vinyl Community Podcasts. Talking about slabbing your records. And what's slabbing, we'll get into that. But I'm joined by the guys over at Vintage Media Grading. I have to be very slow because it's very, I'm conditioned to see that B in this thing, vinyl. And I just go right into it. So I got to be very deliberate. So I'm being slow on purpose. So the guys at Vintage Media Grading are joining me. I'm joined by Drew and Chad. How are you guys doing? Doing well. How are you? Doing great. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm hoping to kind of elevate and talk about the services that BMG provides, but also kind of for folks who don't know about the this kind of uh, part of the vinyl community, kind of add eyes and ears to uh, this service and what's, and we'll get into it. I mean, it's, this is nothing new in, in the sake of collectibles and, and hobbyists and, and so forth. But uh, just to kind of kick it off, can you tell me like the, the origin story? It doesn't have to be like a Captain America took the strength <laughs> theorem kind of thing, but just, you know, because obviously uh, grading of collectibles has been going on for a while. If you've got the PSA with trading cards or you've got Wadden video games or, or, you know, the auction sites and so forth. So, so what's the kind of overall origin story of BMG? Yeah, sure. I'll, I'll start. So we are the three of us that started BMG, uh, Mike Harwood, Paul Brayman, my brother and, and myself, we were, um, we we're, we we're friends. We grew up together in uh, Rhode Island and we were all collectors. We collected baseball cards, vinyl, um, magazines, books, um, you name it, where we've collected it. Um, some things more extreme than others. And I've personally always been really into slabbing my collectibles, especially sports cards. I love the way it made the cards all look uniform. I was collecting yeah. some like Panini cards from like the sixties and seventies, which are so smaller and thin pieces of paper sometimes, but you put them in the slab and it looks just like a, as good of a card as, you know, a, a top Chrome card. So, um, I found it strangely addicting and, um, I had my vinyl collection and there were no companies that were doing it, or at least no companies in a, um, hard case. So when we were Googling it, the only one that came up was AAGS, which is Andrew's company. So they were, he was in existence and, and doing it. Uh, First to market, Andrew, way to go. Bud. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was. So we're like, all right, well, there's one person that's doing it, but we didn't see anyone that did the, the hard cases that were ultrasonically sealed that kind of matched the, the magazines and comics at CGC or PSA and Beckett, those types of slabs. And that's really what we were, were we wanted for our own collection. And the other part of it is too, is how we want to store our own collection. So we have records that we, we have on the shelf that we like to listen to, but we also have some that we really prize and don't want, and want to, don't want to risk damaging them. And so the way we were storing them was relatively rudimentary, you know, between pieces of cardboard and then shoved between a plastic sleeve, things like that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, long story is still pretty long, but we ended up, uh, going, we're like, let's do it. Let's, uh, let's start it. Uh, if there isn't a company that's doing the hard slabbing, let's, 
let's start that process. And it took us a lot longer than we anticipated. Uh, believe it or not, designing and manufacturing a plastic rectangle was nowhere near as simple as we thought to hmm. get it the way we wanted. Uh, it took probably about two years to get it right. And it's it was a lot more complicated than we anticipated to get it right. And we finally got it to the point where we were happy and we were satisfied. I would store my valuable Holy Grail type records in these cases. In fact, I, I, when I get something like that, I anxiously try to convince the guys to uh, take a break from slabbing customer stuff and throw some of our stuff in, in slab just to protect it. Um, And by the way, when we do that, the serial number is unique and it would say like our initials or something. So there's no confusion in the market that we're Mm -hmm. slabbering our own stuff and selling it on eBay or anything like that. Um, So we finally launched, we got the cases right, we launched, and then um, Drew, over time, uh, he also started to do the hard grading, and we ended up connecting. uh, I sent some stuff, actually, to Drew uh, at the very beginning, because I was so desperate to get my stuff slabbed, I I (laughs) sent them out, and uh, because I wanted it done, and uh, he did an awesome job. And we sort of stayed in touch um, back and forth a little bit. And then one day reached out and we looked at, um, you know, our values aligned. Um, The things that were important to us, uh, I sensed was also important to Drew. And um, our weaknesses, Drew seemed to fill and, and the weaknesses that AAGS had, we seemed to fill. So it made sense to sign up, you know, merge and, join forces and make a better company out of, I think we think the sum of the parts is greater than uh, the two individual parts just added together. Um, so here we are. Well, so Drew, it's kind of piggyback on that. Thank you, Chad, for laying that out. Um, so when Chad reaches out to you, well, were you aware that BMG was out there? Cause you were first to market. We want to be very clear first to market, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. But then Chad's reaching out. Cause he's, you know, like he said, he's, he's trying to get his own stuff done. And, and he reaches out to you. So what was that like when, you know, for lack of a better word, a competitor <laughs> in the marketplace is reaching out and be like, hey, man, can you take care of me? What, what was that like? <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I took him. I took the job and, you know, we got his stuff done and uh, we it wasn't it wasn't bad. Um, you know, they the VMG guys were working on their thing. I was working on my thing. I, what? What my mission really was was to try to get soft grading into the marketplace because uh, us vinyl collectors are very uh, hard to please. And <laughs> and um, yeah. you know, what, what early on, it, and it still is, um, but it's not as bad. But early on, the big message was records are made to be listened to and not locked up. So I'm like, maybe if I start off with soft grading, it will kind of just be like the, the gateway drug, so to speak, uh, to getting into slabbing. So I wasn't really too worried about it um you know chad was a good customer and uh we stayed in touch uh but then as chad said things started to get to the point that i'm like i'm you know i I need to make a change they saw something that they needed to make a change and we started talking to each other and everything just kind of clicked i mean we're our interests are all the same um and like chad said it was just like we don't have any overlap like it it was a perfect fit Mm. right from the get-go and uh so we're really happy to be able to work together as one company yeah well let's talk about the collecting piece because 
I think it's, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's easier to work on something they actually have a personal vested interest in, right? Financial peace and, and, and all the stuff about working out and withstanding, but you guys are record collectors first, right? What kind of, uh, take me on your, Drew, we'll start with you. T- take me on your collecting journey. When do you start collecting vinyl records? Is it talking about gateway? I heard that word come up earlier. Yeah. Is it something like you're collecting sports cards first and just a, a progression? You collect a lot of different things or where does that start for you? So I, I started with collecting music um, and my brother and I, we collected um, not very seriously baseball cards. Like, you know, we were the old school, like I'll trade you this card for that card and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so we didn't get really deep into that we don't have anything super high-end but music i've always been into music i i was telling the guys at vmg i i remember sunday mornings i knew it was sunday morning my mom would pop on carol king uh, mm. in, the, in the morning and once i heard that that vinyl spinning i was like you know th- this is cool so that vinyls always played a special role in my life um I, when i was a teenager i really started my collection and um just haven't stopped since and um uh just so as far as the reason why i collect is i'm an audiophile which sounds like it would probably be counterproductive to be (laughs) slabbing vinyl and really want to be listening to vinyl but um you know i have a a really nice custom made um deckware uh all tube hi-fi system Mm. um i really enjoy listening to um and but i have the and i've always had this ethos is to buy one to grab and one to slab essentially oh you know what i say andrew you know what i say we're on the same plane one to keep one to sleep that's how i do it there you go yeah see there's there's more than one rhyme to that right yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, so i always kept one nice and sealed um if it's a numbered copy i'd always try to find the lowest number keep that one sealed and then i listen to the other one and that's really been doing good so i have player copies and i have uh you know my collector's copies and i'm a musician also so when i collect guitars i also have my players guitars Mm -hmm. and i have guitars i would never go on the road with i would never take them out so um you know so it's kind of the same thing uh, with vinyl so that's that's how i started my collect collection journey makes sense chad what about you have you been a lifelong collector are you one of us who collected early and then dumped it all and got all into cds and kind of changed format tell us about your collecting journey it's it's uh so like i said i i've collected just about everything from uh watches to baseball cards to Sports Illustrated, and of course, and CDs and and records. And um, I would say on the record side of things, Drew is definitely the audiophile of the bunch. I enjoy playing a record, but I'm not the audiophile of, of the of the group for sure. Like no. I, I'm not I'm not noticing nuance differences in the sound of the pressings. However, I am strangely obsessed and I can't explain it and there's no good reason for it of the little nuances of what makes like one variant versus another. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I make a, a checklist or want list and then just spend hours of my day trying to hunt down, <laughs> you know, those particular variants for like we were we were talking about it today and it's like, Oh great. Now I have to get this, um, th- this home alone soundtrack that was apparently only released in the early nineties in South Korea. Mm. So <laughs> it was yeah. like, um, and it was, uh, and it's, it's pretty pricey. It's like 150 bucks. And, uh, 
But and my brother was like, well, you can get the Walmart re-release for like 20. And I'm like, mm, no, not I, the same. Gotta, I, no, I got I to gotta have the one released in 1990 or 91. Um, so that, I mean, that's what my collecting is. It's really, I, I like first pressings. I like uh, debut albums. Um, I like finding kind of off the beaten path albums of pop culture, like popular artists that were in bands or recordings before they became popular. And to me, that's just, uh, I can't explain it, but I just, you know, I find that interesting. And um, now I'm glad we have a way to, to encase them and and display them instead of, um, I mean, I still have a bunch of, boxes where they're they're all just in but some of the nicer stuff we can i can take out and handle and and not worry about damaging it or getting ring wear or anything like that so that's about it's about where i'm coming from on the collecting side right on yeah i can appreciate it because the, i mean i guilty as charged like i like billy joel and then i heard about these bands he was in before <clears throat> And uh, I've gone down that weird rabbit hole. I picked up this weird Attila record. Yeah, yeah, it's really bizarre and it's so bad. It's so bad, but it's good. You know what I mean? (laughs) When when you run a organ through a Marshall stack, there's there's some mojo there. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) well, let's talk about uh, you know the timing of your business kind of coming up online and. And we kind of said this earlier, you know, there, there's, there's precedent for in the collectibles space, slabbing things, sealing them, having uniform grading, et cetera. And we'll kind of get into the minutia of how all that works. But uh, why did you guys feel that now was the time? Was it from that collecting background that you guys really feeling like there wasn't a service for this? Or was there, did you hear from other hobbyists or other collectors there was a need for this? Like, what was the impetus behind starting this collective group? Well, for, for me, for starting AGS, I felt like I needed to do it because I was actually looking for the service. I was very similar to Chad. Like, I kind of wanted to get some sort of third-party review before I was able to purchase a expensive release. And yeah. so I looked around, couldn't find anything. Um, that's the reason why I started AGS. So uh, then moved to now we're looking at the industry um, with any kind of collectibles. Uh, everyone's looking for the the next cool way to collect that type of thing. And, you know, vinyl's no exception. It did not peter out like a lot of people thought it would. Um, the resurgence hit in the early 2000s, and it's been just ramping up. <laughs> Waiting ramping for up, that bubble to burst, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it just keeps going. So we're finding that there's actually people now that are into, collect, you know, collecting comic books and cards and games and VHS and all that stuff. And they're looking at, um, hey, I love music. You know, music's an important part of my life. The movie guys, they love soundtracks. The mm-hmm. video game guys, they like their soundtracks. Um, there's all uh, comic book movies. They like their soundtracks. So now uh, we're getting this whole cross-section. Um, and then also with music lovers, um, they, they are looking for a new way to collect. And so we're filling that need. Um, and But first and foremost, it's because we are vinyl collectors ourselves. We love vinyl. Uh, We love the music. And, you know, we want to be able to be a part of the hobby in this way. So it's important for us. Makes sense. Yeah, I I think it was, gosh, and and correct me if I got the timeline wrong. Maybe a year ago, I started hearing about a little of this. And I think it was 
you know, with COVID and the, the yeah. vinyl, you know, the resurgence was upon us, but then it felt like kerosene got added to it. Everyone being at home and listen and, and kind of investing in their experience uh, from that perspective. But then, you know, the, the speculation piece came into. So there's obviously like yeah. a collectible piece, but then obviously people are, are, are collecting it to, you know, turn around and, and make some money on it. And I think that's probably the value of yeah. what you guys are offering. One of the values, right? Because then there's, there's a third party who kind of, takes all the guesswork out there's uniform grading and we'll kind of get into that. And then, like you said, like, even if your guys own pieces have that custom, you know, kind of nomenclature in it that, you know, that you're not kind of infiltrating the marketplace. We're just throwing a bunch of stuff out there. Um, So to kind of kick that piece of it off and and full disclosure, I did keep, so when I saw you guys in Austin, I did keep the (laughs) the marketing tool. This is why, this is what led me to reach out to you guys because I was walking by, I was doing my Austin thing. I was locked and loaded. And then I saw your booth and uh, I was like, okay, I've heard of this. Uh, and so we, I, I think I actually grew over either. I think I might've talked yeah. to you for like two or yeah. three minutes. Right. Didn't even mention a podcast. I was just there as a collector. Right. Um, but then I came home and thought about it. I was like, okay, this is really this is an interesting topic. And I think that at least in my collecting circles, it's, it's been talked about. And I know, like, I know you guys talk to like Nate Boyer, the vinyl guide. So you guys are getting out there and kind of putting the word out there, but my collecting circle like it was we were familiar with the slabbing piece and, and if you're watching this i'm gonna hold up my, my trusty sports cards because if you're not familiar with slabbing you know it's basically where you take whatever you're putting between those pieces of plastic and like you're talking about before chad the uniformity piece is really cool stacking all that kind of stuff but it's basically putting it on ice it's on lock and so naturally being uh you know something that's played and enjoyed and and listen to and all that stuff. I, there's probably been a little bit of pushback because, you know, I, like anyone else, I've read the Hoffman forums. I'm sure you guys have too. It, it's a, it's a, it's a war. It's a battlefield out there. Right. It's, but but so, within that, you know, the charge is like, well, records are meant to be enjoyed. So like, how do you guys kind of tip of the spear kind of lean into that and kind of explain your, your uh, business in this space? So, so uh, first of all, I absolutely agree, right? Records, they are meant to be played. And of the millions and millions of records produced, uh, only a small percentage of those will find their way into slab. It's just like sports cards. I think PSA's last annual report, they thought that they've graded about 10% of the total population of sports cards. And they're huge. Right. Um, so even a fraction of that amount, we would be thrilled um we're not trying to disrupt the market or or um convince anybody that likes to play their records like like drew kicked off i mean he's an audiophile and he buys records to play them however there's there are some records that you probably don't want to play or i mean take the butcher album for example nobody's buying that for the sound quality of the album (laughs) or it's all of the value is in the cover and the collectability and, and the cool aspect uh, aspect Mm -hmm. of that. Mm -hmm. Um, Same like the Led Zeppelin one with the turquoise, uh, Mm -hmm. the turquoise font, right? That's um, there's, so there's nuances that make one variant more collectible than the other. I mean, of course the hot mix, the sound does matter um, on Led Zeppelin too, but in that case, we also offer a audio backup in the form of an NFT. So that, that audio um, and Drew can get into the details of the, the, the equipment take, take my word for it. It's super high end. Um, <laughs> it's um, <clears throat> so the sound is captured 
in a way that it's meant to sound coming out of the record player um, or your own system where it's not scrubbed so that any pop, hiss, scratch that's unique to that record, that particular record is also captured in the backup. So it's tr a true unique backup of that particular record. Mm -hmm. um, so just like I would say, you know, there's grading companies that grade coins and dollar bills and stamps, you know, you're not going to use a million dollar stamp to post uh, on a letter. Um, sure. Same with, uh, you know, comic books are meant to be read and those coins are meant to be spent. Um, that's, it's similar for all collectibles and that's what makes things collectible because people use them for their purpose and now they're much more rare in high end condition. Um, and that's where, you know, that small percentage of the records that, are um or should be or you know a good candidate to be slabbed i mean that's what we're looking for and you know the folks that want to play their records i encourage them to keep playing them and i'm not trying to convince anyone that likes to play records to entomb them in plastic um but there are the ones that you know sit on the shelf and have some high dollar or collectability um you may want to think about it well and even within the hobby in this hobby I mean, sealed records, right? Like yeah. there are people who have 20, 30, 40, 50 year old sealed records and don't open them for exactly the reason you're talking about, Chad, is that once they open them, all bets are off. Now, if they want to listen to them again, great, go for it. But once you break that seal, it changes. It changes the value, it changes. It could be warped inside. Like the mystery, you know, a little bit of the, the, the luster is kind of taken off, but people collect sealed records nonetheless, right? right. So I can appreciate that. Um, Drew, when it comes to uh, the same kind of co question, like a little bit of the pushback from certain areas, right? Again, I use the Hoffman forums because I don't think anyone in the Hoffman forums is ever happy. But yeah. when, when there is some of that chatter about like, oh, records are meant to be played, like as a, as an, a self-professed audiophile, we heard it here first. Like how do you kind of reconcile the, the audiophile part that really enjoys the listening experience but also knows that you enjoy collecting the, the rare, rare, the, the butcher cover, the things that the story, like talking about that Billy Joel record, Attila, right? Mm -hmm. Like the things that the story is probably better than the music, let's be honest. Yeah, so it, I enjoy provenance. I love, like you said, the story. I deeply research things. I um, look for like – Next to the Butcher album, Yesterday and Today, uh, there is a release that's actually very sought after, and that is the club release. Um, the Nobody likes club releases, sure. but that particular club release um, actually has the true stereo mixes for a couple of songs that – all other copies have the, um, you know, that mixed down version of the stereo. So I like listening to that copy of Yesterday and Today. But then again, it's still uh, Yesterday and Today. I can get all those songs <laughs> on the mono box set. And I yeah. love the mono box set. Um, so I'm going to listen to the mono box set. Um, I'm going to listen to some of these new reissues as well, which is also controversial for the Beatles. But uh, so that that's that's um, where I am in collecting as an audiophile. In most cases, the newer reissues are going to sound better than the original pressings. Um, they've been, uh, you know, back then, um, um, old jazz, for example, you know, back then, a lot of those early pressings do sound really good. Some of them don't. And um, a lot of that is because, you know, they knew that they were pressing them for old turntables that, you know, didn't have uh, or systems that they knew didn't have quite the frequency response that we do now. 
so now they take those original master tapes and and uh, remaster them, and they sound really good for the most part. But then again, the the tapes are degrading, and um, mm-hmm. you know, so we have that issue. So I always deeply research. I do a lot of comparisons. It's not uncommon for me to own probably about four or five different variants of a single release just so that I can audition them to hear the best um, sound quality. And then on top of that, I also research them for the rarity. So I'll try to find that one that I'm going to collect. You know, I'm not going to sure. open my vintage uh, Led Zeppelin two that has the the really cool early hype stickers on it and stuff mm. because it, oh, it's wow. sealed. It's sealed. I mean, I'm not going to do it. Um, I have a copy that I'll listen to though, and uh, you know, so that's that's really where I lean into it. Is like you know, I'm not only in it for the music. I'm also in it for the stories, the nostalgia the collectability um all of it is fun to me i don't want to pigeonhole myself in one element of the hobby when i could take in all elements of the hobby yeah, Drew, I, think, I think you should take that that led zeppelin too and and crack it open on the live stream and see if it's a hot mix or not get some content <laughs> get some content out there build up your followers first you don't want you don't, yeah. don't want to waste that on you know a small yeah. audience. take it from me take it from let's, me let's just say i'm not ready for that yet <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll build to that That's yeah fine. yeah 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 um so talking a little bit about the process right uh, you know we talked a little bit about slabbing and again if you if you're listening or even watching this if you can visualize just taking whatever it is the baseball card record comic book and it's being sealed like permanently sealed uh, between two heavy duties pieces of plastic that, I mean, I wouldn't recommend throwing them and doing like the ability, uh, you know, crazy tests or any of that stuff, dropping from buildings, but they're tough. Right. Um, so one thing, and, and I think I saw this when I saw your guys booth at Austin is that you've adopted the, the uniformity of some barcoding ways to kind of uh, catalog. So kind of walk me through, uh, your grading process, because that's also a very hot take uh, topic in the community because there's obviously the gold mine standard. Um, there's some people who, and this is, this is just me speaking people that add like four pluses, like VG plus, plus, plus some people create their own terms. So, so walk us through, uh, you know, the intake process and then how you guys grade and what goes into your grading approach. Sure. So uh, right now, if you go to our website, uh, it is being revamped. The ordering process it's going to be a lot more simple um, to do. But uh, you just go to our website, fill out the basic form, um, make your payment. You'll get instructions on how to uh, package the, the the piece. You send it into uh, our team. Um, we uh, we go through intake. Um, so intake is really the time-consuming part. We go through and not only look at the um, condition uh, in our Rubric, by the way, is based off of the gold mine standard, but expanded because we realized that the gold mine standard has a lot of problems. Hence the VG plus 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 and <laughs> all this like ad libbing that people do. Yeah, I'm going to go freestyle with my my grading. Um, you know, so so we established a published rubric. So there's there's no mystery to it. You can go to our website, check out you know what a ten is, what a nine is. And um, you so you, know, you guys grade not to cut you off, but you grade on a numeric scale. It's not like gold mine is like mint near mint. And I'm sure that the nomenclature ties up to the numeric. Can you kind of walk us through that piece real quick? Yeah. So sure. uh, we go from one to ten. Uh, Chad, if you wanted to just kind of go through the breakdown. 
Yeah. So like, uh, Drew, I think you did a good job explaining it. So we, we started with the goldmine rubric and essentially um, tried to apply numeric grades to each of those min, near min, VG, VG plus, um, good, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And all of that is documented in public for everyone to see. So you could, you know, exactly, you know, why did this get a seven? I think it's a nine. Uh, well, this is the criteria that we're we're measuring it to, and let me see if you can see this. This is <laughs> you probably can't see it, but when we do when when I'm grading, um, we have this. I have a lam- this laminated sheet here mm-hmm. of that rubric um, to bounce things off because you know there, there's always that question. So it's something we have a poster on the wall with that, and so the rubric and that criteria is uh, something that we take very serious and. To us, it's one of the most important things, uh, second to probably authenticating and identifying the right variant, um, so which is just as time-consuming, if not more, than the actual grading. But the, the key thing is consistency. So everybody's – we're never going to get unanimous agreement on – the exact criteria but what's important is that the criteria is out there it's public and what you know is we are going to interpret that criteria the same way every time so you could be sure that a vmg8 whether it's being sold here in the united states or it's being sold from uh, somewhere overseas the standard and the interpretation of what an eight is is going to be identical so there shouldn't be any surprises because Nothing's more frustrating. I'm sure it's happened to all of us where you've bought something and it's it's advertised as near mint and you get it in the mail and there's a saw cut in it or a or or, or it's just far from near mint and I don't know what the person was thinking. <laughs> I run over by a tractor and it's it's uh, mint. Yeah. I right, right. And you know, part of that you can say we'll ask for pictures, things like that, but um it was just something that was lacking in the market. And I think one of the things that we're trying to communicate is look you may not agree with every aspect of of grading but the important thing is that it's consistent so and if you think this should be an eight then you price that accordingly and every vmg7 pay what you think an eight price should be or it's going to be consistent over time uh i guess that's my point yeah Um, makes sense So, so talk about uh, and, and kind of walk back into the grading piece. Um, so the intake, like you're talking about, Drew, it comes in. First thing you guys kind of focus on is identifying the piece correctly. Yeah, yeah, research. So it's all research. Um, we want to make sure that we leave no stone unturned when it comes to um, verifying. It is not an uncommon thing for us to be on the phone with the label um, to to discuss the variant. Um, We email the artists sometimes, you know, if they're accessible, Um, we hunt, we hunt down the artists on Facebook. We we do all kinds of things. Um, They do open their doors if they find out we're a grading company and not just like a a fan. So, um, so that's been very helpful in helping us to be able to identify those things. So we keep an internal database of all of those nuances. And as our population report builds, uh, we, we have that additional knowledge. So uh, we're really proud of our research. Um, and once it goes um, from the research and grading stage, we um, go into sla- um, creating the label and, and slabbing it. 
Uh, we use a injection molded case, as you know. Um, it goes into a, um, a ultrasonic welding machine. Um, it has some ventilation, uh, which is industry standard with other slabs, so that it can adapt to pressure changes and altitude, or um, you know, make sure that there's no you know biome growth in, inside or anything like that. <laughs> right, right. And um, and then we ship it back to the client in a really nice uh, shipping carton, uh, and look forward to the next submission. So so that. That's the whole process. Right now, we're at what, Chad? We're at uh, 60 day advertising turnaround. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So, uh, 60 days is, is what we're um, committed to. And we've been, we've been better than that. But I would say expect expect 60 days, um, especially with the holidays and things like coming, that, uh, coming up. Um, 60 days is what we're committed to as far as turnaround time. And we do everything in our in our power to to get things returned sooner because I know what it's like. I, I've submitted lots of things to a lot of different grading companies, and it's um, you get antsy. And I used to always refresh my PSA, looking for <laughs> for an update. And um, I just did it today with actually CGC. Something just got logged, so I know the excitement. I know how people the, the anticipation. So. We do everything we can to turn things around as quick as we can without cutting any corners. Um, and right now, it's about it's a um, sixty days is like we're, what we're advertising. Do you guys? Because uh, I, I noticed this in sports cards, particularly during the COVID, because the volume was just overwhelming for PSA and the like. Um, do you guys have Express Land services, or if somebody is really hot to try to turn it over, what kind of like? Do you have different pricing tiers, or is it you know one <clears throat> one stop, one size fits all, yeah. one one right now? Yeah. So our our initial plan was to follow that model and have express services. Early on, when we first launched, we had we were having some supply chain difficulties, and we had a limited number of cases, and we were kind of hand to mouth on getting our cases. Um, since then, we, that's that's all resolved, and we have um, more cases than we, we know what to do with. Hopefully, <laughs> for not for not much longer, but. Um, we have cases now, so that's no longer an issue. So it's really what stopped. We've had a few people reach out via email and ask for an expedited service. And we offered the um, the same price that we did when we first launched, which we later took down when we didn't have the cases. Um, and we were able to get you know those orders returned in the time that they needed. Mm. Um, right now, really, honestly, what's only the only thing stopping us is, as Drew mentioned, is we're revamping the website. Um that's been one of the areas I'd say that um, we're, we're focused on to really try to improve. We're still unhappy with the, that overall user experience. Um, Words out of my mouth. I was just going to ask about that. Yeah, we, we've um, it's not where we want it to be. Um, we've spent a lot of time and, and resources uh, getting it to the point that it is, but we still think it still has a lot of, a lot of opportunity for improvement. So, we're asking people bear with us uh, on the website front. Uh, I was managing that. Uh, Drew graciously took that over, and I am so happy to pawn that <laughs> off on him. Um, so now that's his problem, and uh, hopefully he's going to turn that around pretty quickly. No but doubt. No um, doubt. yeah, so so really, that's uh, I think if you want an um, express service, reach out to us, email us, and we will do everything we can to uh, work with you and accommodate whatever, whatever you need um, on that front. And hopefully sooner rather than later, we'll get that option on the website. So you don't have to 
uh, waste time reaching out to one of us asking for special treatment. Makes sense. Uh, before I get off the grading topic and into my next piece, my next question for you. Do you guys, because obviously collectors are familiar with Discogs and, you know, a lot of the disruption that sometimes Discogs can have in pricing. And there's obviously eBay. There's so many different places to find <coughs> records online. Do you guys foresee with this this product you're bringing into the marketplace of, of sealed records, slabbed records, do you foresee a new or a deviant kind of grading structure that Discogs or the other grading services may adopt at some point? And, and has that have those comments? I'm not, I'm not going to jump on my Discog soapbox, I promise you. So I don't think those conversations have happened, but maybe I'm wrong because, uh, you know, I could see that being like the next tier. What do you guys think about that in terms of uh, a deviation of grading for slab pieces? Uh, we've we've already started working with uh, discogs. Um, oh my gosh! They, 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 <laughs> Make me look terrible. Make me look dumb. <laughs> no, 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 no. So um, they they actually um, one of their recent articles they uh, and it featured us and um, you know so our hope is that you know one day hopefully soon uh, discogs will have some kind of um, facilitator for our our grading system or other slabbed um, grading uh, systems so that way we can add that to the mix um right now uh they're just asking and we're just asking people to make sure that if they sell a slabbed record on discogs to put copious notes into the sure. section of the of the ad and uh but hopefully um we can um uh, see some change there in the very near future uh-huh. so we've beat the slabbing topic to death i, I know there's other services you guys are talking about the third party authentication and grading and it's not just slabbing right like tell tell us more about some of the other services you offer outside of putting it in the plastic. So one of the big things that differentiates us is our audible grading. So uh, what a lot of people wanted, it was a whole picture. Uh, they didn't want to just know the visual grade of an album. They wanted to know if it's an, if, if it's audibly, as good quality as we are looking at it. And I can't tell you how many times I've looked at a, a record and said, Hey, that, that record barely looks played. And then I go to play it and I am hearing all kinds of right. groove wear and, mm-hmm. you know, all, all kinds of stuff. So, um, you know, sometimes it's just pressed poorly. Sometimes sure. the, the material isn't very good. Um, so we found audible grading to be a very essential part of the grading process. It is optional. Uh, not everybody wants it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we've also seen it the other way around. Sometimes we've seen records that just look rough, uh, but they sound well, like champs. Yeah. yeah, exactly. They sound great. So it's a good opportunity to actually level out because it, 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 it's a subgrade, but it does contribute to the main grade of the record. And so um, that works good. So uh, we have the audible grading um, as a part of that. We do audible transfers. If people want to continue to listen to their, their album after it's been sealed, um, then we also have the NFT option. If there are any, um, you know, cryptocurrency guys out there they they they, they want to get into that um you know it's it's a good way to uh, make sure that that copy of that album stays with the the physical piece and, that's, and we say nfts you're t- it, is it is is i'm speaking layman's terms so please correct me just same as like a, a rip like a like a, a analog to digital rip or, or, or it, what does that entail do, yeah so the the audio backup is the same, as, and Drew can speak about the audio, the details of the audio backup, where it's um, an audio transfer. The NFT is simply the the deed 
uh, it's a digital oh, deed it. on the blockchain. So it's transferred into your crypto wallet. And then in that is an unlockable content, which would be a folder with like a FLAC file or um, a WAV file or Drew, you can, I think yeah. we, we want it FLAC or um, yeah. a lossless audio. So it's, mm-hmm. it's high quality. You know, you're not going to get an MP3 or something condensed. That's even, I can tell the difference in the sound. Um, but it's, it's, it's the same it's a digital backup, but it's also on the blockchain. So it could be tracked. And if it is ever is transferred, um, they would transfer ownership of that and of that backup along with the physical record. Um, if you sell it, you know, on eBay or, or wherever. Makes sense. Well, one thing I didn't touch on, and this is this is my failing as a host here, is in that grading process. Circling back real quick, bootlegs and counterfeiting, right? Like in terms of any kind of collectible, it's there. It's you know, it's no sense in, in deep diving there in this conversation. But how do you guys approach that? And is it something where through your authentication process, we're doing that research, you reach back out, and unfortunately, have to be the bearer of bad news and, and tell your customers sometimes, like, hey, I know you think it's this, but it's not. Yeah, we, we had a heartbreaker here recently where uh, we actually met the guy um, in person. And, oh, you uh, broke up with him in person. I like <laughs> it. <laughs> it, but, it, um, you know, we were excited because it was a, you know, stereo butcher in the shrink and it looked super clean. So I'm like, I, I want to see it in person. And, um, you know, because we were we were traveling near him anyway. And uh, we went and met up with him and it was fake. And we had to we had to. Mm. bad news mm. it, was, it was a gut wrencher but um but yeah we we have to um be careful with the bootlegs if it, if it's a, a bootleg uh, or a counterfeit that is meant to be malicious um, we don't usually touch it if it's um something that's an unofficial release but tied to a company or something like that um, we will make complete notation that it is not uh, an official release. Um, we kind of, you know, skate down the whole like the Discogs road there, you know, noting that it's unofficial. And if they can resell it later, they can. If they can't, they can't. But we're just grading the, the condition and um, and uh, getting it back to them. That makes sense. And, and that was something we internally went back and forth quite a bit yeah. about um, and understanding that, you know, if you come from a base, uh, the card world, um, counterfeits or unofficial is basically any, I mean, counterfeits obvious, but unofficial, I think of like the boat, some of those Bo Jackson cards that were, you know, when I was growing up, they weren't licensed, but, uh, they were everywhere uh-huh. and, um, but they never really had any value. PSA won't grade them. So initially we were thinking we would only grade official releases and then the conversation evolved and, and, you know, Drew made good points, and some of our uh, our other uh, partners, where it the collectability of unofficial releases is is a real thing, and it's it's much different than a lot of than like the baseball card world, where it's not malicious counterfeiting. Oftentimes, it's the only it's the only way that the particular album or concert or something was released. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also some some. It, some interesting rules from like loopholes in the law where uh, certain countries can release things that are unofficial, but it's not illegal. So bottom line is if there's a way for us to um, identify it as something unique and not a 
counterfeit and not something that's trying to be something that was officially released, most of the time we'll grade it. Um, if there's a situation where we just can't find information on it and it doesn't exist, like there's no company, there's no year or, or something like that, we'll, we'll return it. And that's happened, you know, unfortunately, um, Drew, we had that recently, um, you know, one of Sex Pistols uh, bootleg that just had no information on it. Um, mm -hmm. It actually was on Discogs, but that's not, it wasn't good enough for us to be comfortable to say, I mean, quite frankly, I don't know what I'm, I couldn't even tell you the, the decade that it was released. I could guess sure. by, the, by the paper and stuff, but it wasn't something that we wanted to put our name on and put the, put it in a case. So um, out of all the areas, that may be the grayest, and it just all boils down to how much information is out there and how much we can, can validate. And if we are comfortable, um, you know, encapsulating it and putting it on in something with our name on the label. That makes sense. Um, now I'm going to jump to conclusions, guys. So please tell me if I'm way off base here. But um, I'm assuming that you know the, the the name vintage media grading was left open, so you're not necessarily sticking. Or <laughs> is it safe to say that you guys potentially down the road could take on some of these other collectibles and and, and some of the other uh, the. Not to say you're trying to take market share, but maybe you are. But you know what I mean. Like, but but you know, you could have been called vinyl media grain or something like that. So I'm assuming that that was deliberate. Tell me about it. Yeah, sp you're spot on. So very, you should be one of, <laughs> one of those mediums where you just sense things and. Uh, <laughs> well, so my mom it. used to work for the psychic friend, <laughs> so I'm just going to be honest with you. Yeah, you absolutely nailed that. That was our intent. Um, that uh, that we were thinking, you know, not just records, but CDs, cassettes, um, laser discs. That is something. When we came up with the name and the idea, that was something that we always wanted to move into. What we found is, for us to call ourselves experts in records, it's going to take a. It's it's not something that we can spread ourselves so thin. There's so much information and so much. Um, you know, the, we're bringing the, there's the four of us and we've all collected for a long time and we all think we know a lot. There's so much more that we, we, we're going to learn over, over time. And uh, the most important thing, or one of the, the more fun things while we were doing this is going to shows and things like that is you meet people that know more than you in a particular genre um, that we, you know, add to our Rolodex and not embarrassed to call. And we found most of the time um, people are pretty excited about being thought of as yeah. the expert. Mm -hmm. um, and it's something we have to do. There's it for us to sit here and say, you know, we're the expert in everything vinyl, I think would be a very naive statement. And um, we know what to look for and what, where to ask questions. Now, what that, where I was going with that is you start opening that up to other collectibles um, like CDs and, and cassettes. Mm -hmm. I, it maybe someday, but I, the amount of information out there, especially at trying to nail down a CD um, when that was pressed sure. is we've got a lot to learn before we can, and maybe a uh, hire or acquire other experts um, in those fields before we get into that. Um, but for now we're focusing on vinyl. Um, that's what we think is, has the most legs as far as collectability, uh, mm -hmm. things that we're, mo we're most passionate about. Um, and we are interested, we are planning on moving into seven inch and okay. 10 inch uh, eventually. Um, 
So that's something that it, the next steps as far as other media would probably be other size vinyl. Um, I know Drew is pushing laser discs um, because they fit in our cases and they do look really cool. Okay, um, yeah, that makes sense. But that's something um, that's something maybe a little bit little bit down the road. Yeah, I just lo- I just launched Laserdiscs uh, in AEGS, and then they they acquired me, and then and then I had to take a sidestep on it. And, uh, so I'm waiting my turn. No, that, ma- that makes a lot of sense because I, I, you guys have probably been to the shows and, and you're flipping through and you're like, oh, is this a soundtrack? And it's a Laserdisc because they literally are twelve by twelve. Yeah. <clears throat> well, but I'm about to send you guys home. I don't want to keep you too late. Uh, one question I did have for you is. My research, because I do do some research, contrary to public opinion, I do do some research. And did I see that you guys are in my space? You're in the podcast space. Is this accurate? Or was there somebody <laughs> impersonating all of you called Vintage Media Grading hyphen the podcast? Tell me about this. Yeah. So the podcast, we just started. We, were, uh, we just uh, filmed episode four uh, a couple nights ago, and um, we're working on the next one. We're getting ready to head out to Hollywood. We might actually film an episode there. Um, so, yeah, we, we wanted a, a place to be able to talk about vinyl, but in under the, you know, with the, with the idea of collecting um, in the sense of, hey, variants and, um, you know, the stories behind the releases and um, exploring real like real deep dives of releases that you never realized an artist put out, um, you know, so that's really what we're focusing on. And um, they're not just advertisements. They're just a lot of a lot of music nerds talking about about nerdy music stuff that's great so, Listen, yeah. that's, that's one of the reasons i started this podcast and got that's some awesome. other like-minded folks because I, I felt that that like you guys said in the open there was there was a personal need for yeah. something in that space and hey more party i don't like you guys competition don't worry I, I did see some of your show i saw you did jack white show, so exactly nerding out on music i'm all for it <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and honestly we want to be like you when we grow up um, <laughs> yeah. so so yeah, i i am i am a, a listener of this channel so it's actually an honor to be on here yeah what's up all right well i appreciate yeah. that that's fantastic yeah, I, I don't think you have to worry about our podcast being any sort of competition. <laughs> Most of the time we sit there and say, uh, I can't believe there's people listening to this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's just say that we're better at grading records than we are yes. doing a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> that is a perfect way to put a bow on the conversation. Awesome. Well, uh, I'm going to have some information in the show notes. You guys obviously have a website. Uh, let me put that here for the visual folks checking us out. But it's vmgvinyl.com. Uh, like you said, a work in process with getting the site where you want it to be. But even when I was on there earlier, I mean, there's a lot of information. You guys are very transparent about a lot of the process, more information. And then you guys are also doing the smart thing. You're on Instagram. So then you're putting a little visual cues and in, into some of your storytelling. And that's at Vintage Media Grading on Instagram. No spaces, no hyphens, nothing like that. So, guys, I appreciate the time. I appreciate learning more about your business. I wish you much success because I do think exactly what you said. It's not going to be for everybody, but for the people it is, it's great because it does fill a need that wasn't there in the marketplace. And uh, Drew and Chad, appreciate the time, guys. Thanks for having us. Nice to have you. Thank you. And that was another trip around the turntable. Thanks for listening to Vinyl Community Podcasts.